0: And welcome to another episode of That 60s Recording Podcast, the podcast that has conversations inspired by the golden era of recording. I hope you've all had a wonderful week. Um, I've got a fantastic episode for you this week. I'm speaking with um, Fran Ashcroft, who is a producer, mix engineer um, from the northwest of England, and he's just written a book called The Analog Approach to Digital... The Analog Approach to digital recording and mixing, which came up on my uh, Facebook feed, in fact, because we share a record label. The album I put out, the Nanny Plays the Music of Ron Ryan, um, is out on the same label that Fran releases his music, so I was aware of his stuff. Mm-hmm. Then suddenly this book appeared on my Facebook feed, and I thought, that sounds exactly the language that I speak. So I got hold, hold of a, an advanced copy, and... Honestly, it was like reading the inside of of my head. <laughs> everything that was that Fran was writing was was exactly everything I'm aiming for, and it was just such a joy to read. Um, so I was quickly in touch with Fran to to get him on this podcast because he he typifies the complete attitude that I've got to this. It's it's so relaxed and refreshing, and or dare I say, simple. The the way he sort of all puts it together. Um, and just makes it feel like do you know what this isn't that hard and i can do this even though we all know that the sort of when you get down into the nitty-gritty of it it can be a bit mind-bending Um, he just has a way of writing it out um something that really i i specifically enjoyed about the book is it's not just about um the the specifics of recording it's more about the like sessions and there's sort of ideas and techniques in there that are lost when you're making music by yourself, and then suddenly you start making music with other people, and you need to know a little bit more about things happen, uh, about the way things happen, and that this book is full of that information as well as the real specifics about my techniques and game staging and all of all of that kind of stuff, and even as a sort of a professional audio person i suppose there was still loads for me to learn in it and uh, i think that'll be the case for anybody that reads it it's just a great book to have around i've got it at the studio so when i'm bouncing things out i, I flick through it and find the little nugget of information it's just such a joy to have around so this is a really really fascinating episode and i think you'll absolutely love it and i would implore you to go and get the book it's called the analog approach to digital digital recording and mixing blumenek it's such a um tongue twisted to say and uh, it's fran ashcroft and you can get it anywhere it's on amazon and all all of that kind of stuff so just go and find it and uh, definitely buy it i'd I'd very much recommend it and so we'll get straight on with the episode here we go fran ashcroft are you ready for my attempt at an advert here it comes make noise pro audio a specialist in used pro audio equipment And since 2015, they've been on an endless quest to supply all things modern, old, vintage and obscure. Everything from outboard, microphones, synthesizers, audio interfaces, drum machines, mixing consoles, studio monitors, amplifiers, cabling, furniture, and everything in between. Go and check them out at makenoiseproaudio.co.uk. Sam's a lovely chap. Definitely go and do it. Enjoy the episode. So I wonder if we could start with talking about the book, and maybe you could just explain why you felt it was a good time to write the book, and what your aims were in writing it as a whole.
1: Oh, sure. Um, well, you know, I didn't plan to write it, but I had a call out of the blue um, from the publishers uh, who said, "Oh, uh, they've been recommended to to talk to me about doing a book." we had in mind about analog mixing and uh, I said well I don't know really analog mixing um, and right off I said D- you know it's the analog stuff is not all about mixing if you're going to do an analog mix you have to start at the front end I said you know the, the book would have to in- incorporate all the steps from you know sort <laughs> of rehearsals onwards to, to the finished thing because you had to get everything else in place. Um, so wh- when you do mix, um, you know, you're able to do it because you're not going to be able to do it much after the fact. Um, they kind of understood that and said, well, yeah, if you want to do it, um, basically do what you want. <laughs> <laughs> I just sent a, sem- a sample, Chapter. so we'll have a look at the writing style and if uh, that's okay yeah, so i had quite blanche really about it um,
0: Why do you think analogue mixing was on their radar, as a specific thing? I'm, yeah.
1: Well, they, they had a, a, a book that um, I think they put out the uh, previous year
0: Oh, the template uh, mixing and mastering
1: book uh, Yeah um, so I think it was kind of a contrast to that one mix in, and that's a digital idea anywhere that everything's about the mix you know analog wasn't like that really mm-hmm.
0: then when you what was your you know having decided that you were going to take it on what was your sort of overarching aim for the book
1: um well I thought about it um and I tried to approach it from the standpoint of anyone who's sort of already recording digitally um and inevitably, at some point or other, it gets very frustrating, particularly if you've not been doing it for very long. Um, and I've, you know, I've done a bit of mentoring over the years, and the number of people who sort of would start and they get all the digital stuff and blah blah blah, and they get totally stuck, and, um, and just really they wouldn't know how to get a decent mix out of it, you know, because they pile up too many tracks and all kinds of things like that. Um, so I thought I'd take that viewpoint um, as, shall we say, the, the 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 book target audience in a <laughs> sense, um, rather, if anything, uh, than analog enthusiasts, because analog enthusiasts are going to know some of this stuff anyway. Yeah. Um, and you know, I started started it off, and I thought, well, the best way to approach this. Is basically, I'm just going to write how I do it <laughs> because well. you know I've been doing it for years and I've gone through from you know, er, you know, the earlier kind of analog to the later analog to early digital, modern digital, gradually, and you know, um, I've had to make the transition each time um, and adapt to that. So that seems to be a logical way to do it.
0: One of the things that I I enjoyed about it was the you no know, as a I mean I kind of I mean I, I am technically like a professional in this industry but you know we never stop learning but y- you know there was a lot of information that I I knew but there was so much information that was just really important as a as a, re- a refresher or reminder even as someone who's thinking about this stuff every day I still found it really enthralling to read and thinking. You know, I, I haven't thought of that. Or yeah, that's a really good point. I skip over that step every time, and maybe I should do that. Um, so there is a. There's so much in it for a, a beginner, and there's so much in it for a somebody who's a, a working professional.
1: Yeah, well, that that's a, It's good to hear that because you know, I always have to remind myself because you get you know after after X amount of recording that you do, you know, there's a tendency to either just go for the same way of doing things all the time or somehow get a little bit too comfortable and complacent Mm. and you forget some of the things that were important that you did earlier on in your career or whatever or when you were using different formats and stuff um, that were very useful so I I always try to remind myself of stuff like that um, which is why I still want to work as simply as possible I've gone through the whole, oh I've Twenty-four track and all the bloody overdubs and stuff like that until <laughs> um, they were coming out in the ears and I thought, you know, I'm just bleeding pointless <laughs> 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 Let's get back to what's actually important Well, um,
0: that's it You said that there's a quote I, I took from an interview that you gave online that says uh, uh, digital recording has liberated us from the costs of recording but at a price um, and I think that that's that's something you know i I mean as a relatively young person coming up in this industry analog wasn't a thing when i was you know i I can remember basically working straight to digital and i've had to i think that's why i've i've Mm. become obsessed with sort of 60s 70s because to me that that represents something that is attainable because it's you know there's not as much gear and you know it's more all about the the things that i can control rather than needing um needing lots of bits of software to do and yeah you know i have had to to learn on the job so to speak but i think that that's something that i'm finding in conversations with people who are younger than me now that they're missing some some of the essential bits of knowledge you know gain staging or uh, awareness of of sort of what sound is and and what makes something sort of you know uh, subjectively good necessarily and um, that you're yeah. you're covering in this book and i think that that's the the really important part is all you know the sort of foundation and the roots of of all of this um, rather than just sort of go, you know, as you say, getting tangled up in knots in a mix because there's some fundamental things that are wrong. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, it, it, it's things like with digital because of the way it's built. Um, you know, people sort of think, well, there's, there's always a software fix for this or that or whatever it is, and um, you know, you can't fix a performance if it's not right. You can improve it, maybe. It makes it sound a bit better, but you can't fix it. You can't turn a bad performance into a good one. No. You know, and and, and something like that is fundamental, you know, Um, and it's often forgotten, you know, so you get things that are sort of proficient on digital. Proficiency is easy on digital. Because you can fix all the mistakes. Um, Getting something that really sort of feels and resonates with a listener is a different... That you represent. know, and it's it's largely
0: forgotten in in modern recording. That's why all the records are so bland. <laughs> well, I, I'm inclined oh, to oh, agree. Anyway. Yeah, I mean that you cover uh, one of the early chapters in the book is on pre-production. I mean, I've not I've not seen anybody writing to this extent about pre-production and how important getting the, the beginning part of a song down. You know, the temptation for a, a young artist now is to open up the the door and just crack on recording straight away, and somehow that morphs from from what they started onto a song. And actually thinking about the song and and thinking about the structure and all all the things that you write about, you know, there's, it's not just and you know this isn't just about the recording process itself; it's the preparation for the recording process.
1: That's right, and it's it's you, you make my idea. it's thinking about what you're doing and thinking about what you're doing before you do it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, is that the
1: right? Is it the right thing to do? shall I approach it this way? Should I approach it that way? You know, from square one, really. Mm. And that that comes from you know the earlier analog when you had very restricted number of tracks, and yet you kind of had to think it through, so that by the time you did get to overdubs the mixing, um, it'd be okay by the time you'd finish because you didn't you know, move things around and manipulate them later. And I mean, as you know, if you're working with a Porter studio, it's a bit like that, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. Not that
1: well I've ever had one. But <laughs> <laughs> it was all sound on sound in my little first sort of quasi <laughs> studio. Um, and you had to learn how to balance that, you know. Uh, and you only got one shot. <laughs> you know, if you blew it, if you blew it on the drum track, you wouldn't be you knackered then.
0: Well, this is it, so preparation is everything. It's not just, you know, a, sort of a hit and hope. It's, a, okay, we, we this is what we're going to do now, and, and let's, let's try and do it.
1: Uh, there's also fundamental things like uh, tempo and timing. I mean, often, you know, somebody will write a song or do a demo of the song, and it's like, oh, the demo sounds great, and then they go do the real thing, but they don't check the demo because they think they know it. Yes, and the te- they get the tempo wrong, and, and it's like, oh, it doesn't sound as good as the demo did. Well, no, it doesn't. There's all sorts of reasons why. <laughs> um, so, I mean, my my current tendency now is like, well, I want it to sound like the demo. In fact, I'll use the demo if I can,
0: mm. certainly on my own stuff. That's quite interesting. Are you are you recording at a particular, you know, with a, a particular quality in mind in the first instance, so that you can use it if you if you need to.
1: I don't care. Um, I don't care. No, I just want the feel. Yeah. Great. You know, so it doesn't matter to me if there's a bit of noise on the vocal or, you know, some stuff going on that you really shouldn't have. Um, I wanted to see if we could get away with it, to be honest.
0: <laughs> I like that. I've had a, <laughs> I've had a few, you know, instances quite recently. I, I, they seem to come along like buses in, in what I do with the remote drumming thing that, you know, some I work with artists who are very relaxed and not—I uh, say—not bothered, but you know they're quite—they uh, just want what you're what you're describing. They want feel and they they want it to have a bit of vibe on them. And then I I work with some who are slightly less experienced, and we 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 pour over very very minute specific details, which which frustrates me no end. I mean, I'm I you know ha, ha, happy to oblige. Obviously, you know I'm I'm at their service, but. You know, I, I think there is a balance to be had, and often the temptation is, as you know, as the person providing the service is is thinking, you know, am I being lazy by by allowing these mistakes through? And I think that's what a lot of young artists do feel is that there's a pressure not to be lazy or to make the best thing, whereas actually the best thing is often riddled with mistakes. Yeah, uh, totally. That that's the, that's
1: the sort of the trouble with the, the the sort of perfectionist mindset which digital allows you to have. Analog didn't really quite do that, you know, because things were, once they were down, they were down. You couldn't fix anything later. So you got the best you could get. I mean, when uh, my old band was recording, um, the typical thing was we were doing a rhythm track and they'd be like, well, we'll keep the one that's most in time. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Amazing. yeah literally
1: you know i mean it seemed like none of the engineers ever thought about editing you know what i mean yeah yeah <laughs> um,
0: what was your uh when you were kind of setting out writing the book one of the things i like most about it is is there's a quite a bit of a sense of humor in it i think with a lot of books you know the the publisher that it's with. There's there's a whole other arm of books that are to do with you know other subjects that are sort of uh, yeah. you know craft craftsmanship subjects, but not not recording things. And the temptation is to to write it quite in a dry way, and that's not what this is at all. And there's one there's a specific bit where you're talking about um, the singer. Doing vocal takes and and plosives, and you're saying if if nothing else works, just stick a sock in the singer's mouth. <laughs> and I, <Yeah. laughs> I love it. I really love those little tidbits in there like that. It sort of makes it humanizes you as an author. I really enjoy.
1: Um, also, I mean, it, there's an element I think in the book of me wanting to sort of do it like I was doing a session with someone. Hmm. So uh, you need a sense of humour to you know, get performances and get it moving along and the right kind of momentum and all the rest of it. Um, you need, um, hell, you do need a sense of humour when you are recording most of the time. Otherwise you'd be going mad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> the, I, I think it's just really important to... It's sort of The whole book generally has quite a um, a relaxed approach and I like how you you know you give some really specific ideas that uh, the word that is in my mind is prescriptive but it's not necessarily prescriptive, you, you know, there's some certain things that, that you kind of say this is the way that it it, it could be or ought to be um, but then if it's not like that, then that's also okay, but then it's, it just all feels it all feels really just like the opposite of what's out there at the moment, which is a lot of if you need this, you know, if you want this sound then you need this, and if you want this sound you need this, and this is more just an overall approach to everything, in a really quite a a, a relaxed, softly, softly way, if, if that's a good way of describing it. And I, I just enjoy that whole ethos towards it all.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think the the there is a, an element far too much now about you know you have to have this, you have to have that, and uh, that's just people trying to sell you stuff most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, r- really, you know, it, it's got ludicrous some degree, um, making all these claims about what their stuff can do, blah, 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 blah. blah. Um, the reality is that you can get where you're going using all kinds of different methods. There's no set way, and you can work with whatever you can, you have to work with. And you know, if you're clever enough and your ears are good enough, you can make it sound the way you want. Yeah. You know, the only exception being you know if you don't have tape it's very hard to make it sound like it was done on tape <laughs> that's the only thing i can
0: think of where uh i haven't got around it yet you know yes yeah no i understand you do a really good job of explaining the the situations that come along in a studio you know uh, there's um the performance curve that you you write out of you know <laughs> when bands do takes or you know, you talk yeah. about it in the pre-production section too, and also the vocal sections and the overdubs and all that. It's a you, you know, having been in those situations myself. You you've done a really good job of articulating pretty much exactly how it goes down and what's going on in ev- in everyone's mind <laughs> at every point.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I've done the three sessions. Um, yeah, yeah, and you know, there's a, a bit of detail about well, how long this probably takes and that and the other um, and that's simply because you know when somebody goes into the studio they're paying for the studio and they've got a, a certain amount of time booked and you know you, you don't want to run over time because it costs you a lot more money or you don't have it you know yeah, yeah. Um, so you need to be conscious of the, how long you're working the second aspect of it is in respect to that before lick right or something like that you know you're not
0: going to get it you know Mm. well Um, that's it and i think that that's these are the things that are the difference between a good session or a bad session and you know you're you're providing people with the sort of young engineers and young producers with the the confidence to say you know look guys i think we should stop now um because you know that that it's on a knife edge at points you know when you're at at that take four or take five where you, you kind of it's getting to the point where you probably should stop if if you kept going then there's a danger that the whole the whole rest of the day is going to have a cloud on it if if you don't
2: pull well, it at the it, right it, moment
1: that takes the right one, even though they want to do another, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the advantage of having a producer or the right producer, which is another matter. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, So at the
0: same time as you were writing this, so you've got an album that's just come out called um, A Tour of British Duck Ponds. Presumably yeah. you were re- writing, recording that album about the same time you were writing the book.
1: Yeah, I'd just finished it, actually, so I'd finished writing the album um, and recording the album, and, um, you know, I I knew I was going to do the book uh, probably a few weeks before I finished the record. I thought, right, well, I'll start the book, you know, in January, because I'll be clear then with the record. Um, So it worked out pretty good, because I was ready to do something else, because I'd just done an album, that, you know. I didn't want to leap into another one. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was good timing, wasn't it?
0: Did you did do it just finishing the record? Did that help with the book writing in any way? Because it was all
1: fresh in your head. Is it quite uh, a specific? Well, way. It, well, you... it did in the sense of um, yeah, I'll do it. You know, I'll I'll pretty much write it like this is the way I did my record. <laughs> <laughs> but for the most part. Um, particularly at the mixing section, because the record is all done in the box. You know, I didn't even use faders or anything like, it, uh, which was a challenge, because uh, it always is. Um, but that helped with the book because you know not everybody's got a fader interface, or you know, or they can manipulate the faders in a way that they need to to choreograph things correctly. So there is quite a bit of stuff with the all the waveform adjustments and stuff like that, um, which you would do if you're working right in the box. And most of them are, are to do with the, the, trying to sort of get rid of the digitalness that you, you have if you are working completely in the box.
0: That's something I, that that particular section about the waveforms I found really, really interesting because I'd never really considered. I think, I you know, it, it, it sort of... Be- I have become aware of it, but I'd never really thought about it as an actual thing. That you know, when you're working on tape,
1: it it sort
0: of blurs all of those those extreme frequencies. Uh, extreme. Yes,
1: you don't you, you don't have any of those problems on on tape. It's not the nature of it.
2: No. Um,
1: and and digital is the opposite.
2: You know, those things are kind of emphasised.
1: And
0: they're they're quite easy to recognise. The way that you you explain them in the book is quite easy to to see that. And then you know, as soon as you do iron them out it suddenly does become a lot easier to deal with because, you know, a lot of, you know, plugins respond in different ways. You know, if they're, if a, if suddenly a a really loud sound goes into a plugin, it's going to, it's going to respond in a different way than if, you know, than the rest of the time. So that all of that kind of stuff does, it's those little nuances and those little details that help an overall mix. And that's, that's one of the things that this, the book does incredibly well.
1: Yeah, and the the other reason I go on a lot about the waveforms is precisely as you say, you know, plugins respond in different ways, uh, and they all leave a footprint. If you're adjusting the waveforms manually, um, you're changing a waveform, but you're not putting any processing on it, other than changing the volume. Yes. So, yeah, uh, so so it it keeps its integrity. Whereas if you're using, oh, I'll use the third compressor on this one, you know, it's going to sound pretty horrible by the time you're finished. <laughs> yeah. I th-
0: I think it's quite inspiring that you, the album, you know, uh, you're obviously incredibly experienced in, in sort of analog and the digital domain, but then you've made this record entirely in digitally. It sort of somehow feels right that you've you've managed to do, to make such a great album with... With it completely in the box and I think did I read somewhere that it was just using one microphone yeah yeah and it's you know you've managed to, to do essentially you, you've you managed to make you know I know you wrote the book secondly uh, after the, you made the record but essentially the book is you know is that you here you can do this
2: <laughs> um, well you... yeah um because the,
1: the way I did the record I deliberately chose to do it in the simplest way I could um mm-hmm and really sort of put a lot of restrictions on what I could do just to see if I could pull it off yeah um uh so my mindset was back when I had a first me first tape recorder I had one microphone so I had to work with that and that was about it and <laughs> no desk no effects no bloody nothing everybody had to be recorded at once and I had a, you know quite an array of people playing at points yeah um So I got to understand microphones and stuff back then. Um, But the record was really very simple, like minimum of overdubs. Even as it is, I think maybe I did too many.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But,
1: you know, I I got better as as I went along because I haven't played um, like that for years. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I... Generally, I, generally, if I play anything, it's only when I'm actually doing some recording, doing over it over with somebody and that kind of thing yeah, um you know, I hadn't embarked on a solo project, if you will, um before, so uh you know, it's been many years since I'd done tracks where I'd done everything on them, you know, yeah, um, and I don't like the challenge of that, so it's kind of like, oh, all right, this is like I used to do it, but uh-huh. it's just that the recording. I use very very little in the way of effects on the whole thing Um, I I deliberately try to avoid it (laughs) so there's there's not on most of the tracks there's no reverb on the vocals for example you know so it's like well how do you get a warm vocal sound well you know it kind of depends where you put the microphone and how you deliver the vocal that's interesting well I know but you can get away with it
0: yeah I, I hadn't even considered that when I was listening to it you'd think that you think you'd notice something? that you know, Every reverb, every vocal's got reverb on it. <laughs> I mean, you, you just, yeah. Well, you
1: know, the only reverb is, is, you know, what what there is in the room and how yeah. you use your
0: room. Oh, brilliant! I'm, you'd think you'd think that would be a standout thing that you'd go, "Oh, that vocal sounds really dry," but I it didn't even cross my mind once listening through to the record.
1: No, it's interesting. There's a lot of illusion involved in records. Hmm. Um, I think I did say somewhere else in the book about you know, well, you know, you put reverb on one thing you know it actually gives the effect that it's on everything else yeah (laughs) because you know things are not in isolation they never are
2: yes Um, yeah
1: and particularly when you put a you know a reverb on a vocal um most of the time you don't need it on anything else unless it's somebody very specific yeah that's you know that's true uh, you know you shove a load of reverb on the drums and it's just like competing with the vocal and everything gets mushy
0: yeah, or well, thinking of everything as a you know in a holistic way. I, there's another. Um, I I think I'd mentioned the the quote earlier, but the 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 rest of the quote I about digital recording coming at a cost was uh, you said the modern recording can feel like assembling sounds rather than creating them. That feels yeah. like what you're you're saying at the moment. It's more of a if you're creating this thing, then you're not just putting you know, all of these nice sounding objects together, you're making one thing that sounds nice. And often that means that the individual components don't need to be pristine in and in of themselves. It's as long as the whole thing comes together nicely.
1: Absolutely. And and that's kind of like it was in analog days when you, you know, to do records and you could hear somebody dropping the tambourine and things like that, you know. <laughs> And I thought, okay, well, you only got one shot. You got your know, this one take. Everybody's playing. That's the best one. We'll have it. You
2: know.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, some, uh, some of those moments. Those
1: little things can can kind of add to the the charm and the atmosphere or something.
0: Yes. Oh, com- completely. Um, what inspired the the album? How how you know you just mentioned that you hadn't done a solo project for for a, like a a while or ever. But what? Why suddenly now?
1: Um, I think that was partly because of lockdown and whatnot, um, but I've done, um, I've done a collaboration with, uh, Kristen Muir in Canada, uh, as, uh Les Huets, and we've done a couple of tracks, and, um, uh, she kind of encouraged me to, well, you know, do something, you know, um, so I thought, oh, I might start writing again. I did a couple of songs and um, I put into that three three people who I trusted would tell me the truth. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, is it any good or not? Because it had been so long since I'd done something like on my own. Yeah. I didn't really know because um, this was a different approach and uh, I'd done the songs in a different way and I was talking about different things uh, in a way I hadn't done before. Um, so it was quite a departure from... You know, my background as a writer was, you know, knocking out pop songs for people and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want it to be like that. I didn't want to do, like, oh, these are, you know, the, the nice, tuneful thing. Um, you know, I just wanted to be like, well, you know, what's me? I just wanted to do what was me and things that were important for me to write about uh, that I'd never been able to do before. So it was a liberating record for me today.
0: Was, I mean, I, m- I might be looking in, into it as on a, as a surface level thing, but you, you, in the last ten years, you've moved from. Is it? It might not even be the last ten years, but you lived in the US for a while, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I was in the US for fifteen years. What a contrast! <laughs> I hated it. Uh, the you know the recording aspect of things there. Um, Crikey! I mean, prior to that, I'd been working in London and been there for you know a number of years doing stuff with people and you know the English way of doing of recording and, and how it's approached certainly then um, you know it's very straightforward and good humors, and everybody knew what they were doing mm-hmm. I went to America and it seemed like there was a lot of studios um, owned by people who hadn't got a clue what they were doing they yeah. hadn't um, got the vaguest idea and it's like oh god it's like starting all over again mm. Yes, it was strictly, you know, it seemed amateur hour to me to be honest. Best thing, uh, yeah. and it was a real big step back. Wow. So
0: was the was the Britishness of this new album a, a thing that did it just come out, or was it something that you quite wanted to to embrace?
1: It was. It wasn't a conscious thing. Um, I think it came out with a, with a sort of British slant on it because, you know, I was, some of the songs are about. What it was like, you know, when I was growing up, or whatever. Um, which <laughs> was typically British, I suppose. <laughs> um, and the whole stuff surrounding Brexit and this kind of idea of Britishness. Yeah. Um, you know, I wanted to say something about that because I was never happy with that. I never felt like I was British or anything. And, you know, I'm I'm made. it Doesn't matter. You know what country I'm from. <laughs>
0: don't care wow yeah was it uh, so you mentioned you're in Birkenhead now were you, were you were born in the northwest
1: yeah yeah Preston
0: okay and <laughs> what was that like as a um, so I mean the big studios at that time were very London centric what was that like uh, as, a, as a young man growing up in the music industry or well, being interested was, in music it
1: was interesting uh I mean in Preston um I didn't even know anybody who owned a bass guitar it was like that you know (laughs)
2: Yeah.
0: So there we have it, part one of my conversation with Fran Ashcroft about his book, *The Analog Approach to Digital Recording and Mixing*. Um, I really hope you enjoyed that, and there'll be more from him next week. Um, thank you very much for listening. That just leaves me to say that you can get in touch with me through my website, which is allyouneedisdrums.com, on Instagram at Joe Montague Drums or at allyouneedisdrums. Um, I'd just like to say a thank you to Adam Mallet for the artwork he designs for this. Podcast to Joe Kane for the intro and outro music, and specifically you for listening, um, and to Sam at Make Noise Pro Audio for sponsoring the podcast. So thank you all so much, and I will be back next week. Goodbye.
2: <laughs>